Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. All right, we just welcome Pastor RJ to the stage. He's going to continue our contrast series. Good morning, good morning. You guys are welcome to come and teach with me. So Abigail's talking about how great mothers are. Yeah, hers has been gone for about a week. <laughs> My wife went away. Um, so as we're getting started transitionally, how many of you have ever had just a, 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 one of those days that just didn't work out how you thought it should? I mean, I see they were trying to cook for their uh, mom, wife in that video, but have you ever had like a real life day like that, that kind of went like that? I feel like my, my yesterday kind of went like that for us. Um, I'm a little tired today, I'm not going to lie, this is my big transparent moment, so pay attention. You don't see too many of these. <laughs> And I, and I really don't need sympathy. I just, it's kind of humorous to me now. Uh, so, uh, yeah, my wife's been away. Last night, around 11, I went to pick up a daughter, and then she got delayed at work for 45 minutes. So I sat in the parking lot for 45 minutes, <laughs> waiting for her to come out. And then, um, I don't know, I ate too many vegetables. My stomach was giving me a hard time. So I had about 40 minutes of... Uh, time on the couch where I couldn't move because my stomach hurt. And then, um, oh, hey, I believe in miracles. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. For the first time, I told my kids, for the first time in your short lives, Toronto has advanced out of the first round. (laughs) And... uh, then I had this random call at around 12.30 something last night. Um, and uh, when I answered it, it was my daughter crying because she had locked herself out of her house in her car and her phone and she had to borrow a phone to call me to bring her her spare key. Except um, after tearing my house apart, I couldn't find the spare key. So I called my wife in Ireland and woke her up in the middle of the night and asked her if she knew where the spare key was. <laughs> And do you know those calls you get in the middle of the night that wake you up? And you're like, what? Is everyone okay? Is everyone, you know? Um, she eventually remembered where she put it. So I drove across town and let my daughter in. Anyway, about two o'clock in the morning, um, I decided, oh, yeah, because we, um, my daughters and I, had gone up to Toronto for that night of worship with Elevation on, on Friday. And we had a great time up there. I mean, the traffic was a little... Uh, I don't miss Toronto traffic, I'm not going to lie. I don't miss Manila either. Um, however, um, the, uh, it was a late night, but before I left for that, I decided that I would be the good husband and clean the shower up before my wife came back, so I sprayed Vim everywhere, except I forgot about it. So last night at 2 in the morning, um, when I went in there, I realized, oh, I should probably clean that, except that then when you leave it for a long period of time, turns into chalk. And it doesn't clean easily. So at 2.30, I finished cleaning my shower, and it looks no cleaner than it was before, so I did it wrong. 
Anyways, I had a late night. It didn't work out how I thought it should. I'm a little bit tired today. I've been living on coffee, and now I'm drinking some peppermint tea. Uh, anyway, you didn't need to know that. But <laughs> last week, we talked about in our weakness, he is strong. So how many know when you're really tired, it's a great opportunity for God to show up strong in your life, right? And my wife comes back. She's somewhere over the North Atlantic right now, probably just about to fly over Canadian airspace, which I'm excited about. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I have a lot of quotes today. As I was going through this topic on humility and pride, there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, men and women of God that have lived before us that had some really good insight uh, so I do, I have some scriptures and I have some quotes and I'll try to tie that together in there. But Horatius Benar, 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 in all unbelief, there are these two things, a good opinion of oneself and a bad opinion of God. And, and foundationally, when we look at that, you know, um, if you don't believe in God, you think of yourself as someone that doesn't need a God, or you don't view God as someone who is your savior, right? And Timothy Kettler, <clears throat> the Christian gospel is that I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. And how many know that is so true? The rest of you? We need to have a conversation. Okay. So we'll come back to the Ten Commandments and how you've broken all of them. Did you just think I didn't murder anyone, Victoria? <laughs> but have you ever hated someone? Oh, yeah. oh, then you're guilty of murder. So you killed. Uh-oh. See, we've all broken God's law. We're all sinners. This is, this is a big problem for us to be a sinner. So I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. And you can personalize that and say, I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Okay. Yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both the swaggering and the sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. Why don't you stand up with me for a moment? See, Jesus, he humbled himself and took on the form of a human. I'm actually going to read a passage to you while you're standing from Matthew 10 in the Amplified Version, 32 to 39. But it says, therefore, the one who confesses and acknowledges me before men as Lord and Savior, affirming a state of oneness with me, that one I will also confess and acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. That's Jesus talking. And then he goes on and says, but the one who denies and rejects me before men, that one I will also deny and reject before my Father who's in heaven. Every one of you has an appointment with God the Father one day. When this life ends, when you breathe your last breath and it goes back to God who gave it to you, okay, you will have an appointment with the creator of the universe. And when you're having that conversation with him, I don't know exactly how it's going to go, but I assure you, you're going to want to be one of the people that confess Jesus before others, not one that denied Jesus before others. 
because that will determine the outcome of that conversation. Jesus talks about after that, he says, don't think I've come to bring peace. I've not come to bring peace, but a sort of division between belief and unbelief. Okay. I've come to set a man against his father, daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household when one believes and another does not. I've talked to people that are Christ followers that their family said, I liked you better when you were a drunk and a liar and a cheat and you ripped us off and you didn't act right than I do now that you live this holy life. There's something about darkness that likes darkness. And when light comes around darkness, it starts exposing and people don't like when their sin is exposed. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example and living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me is not worthy of me. And you know, I like to think, as many of us have gone through this, oh, if my life was on the line, would I deny Jesus? You know, if someone had a gun to your head and said, deny Jesus or die, I'd like to think that I would have the courage in that moment to say, yes, God, I'm willing to die for you. But the question is, you don't know how you're gonna act till you get there. But there's some evidence in your life because if you can't even stand up for Jesus in the break room at work, or when someone's having a conversation that's not appropriate, or if you can't stand up for Jesus when I look at your search history, That'll get your attention, eh? How many are comfortable with me looking at your search history? Or the videos that you watched or the TikTok or the, or the movie that you watched, do you want to sit down with Jesus and watch that movie? Let's go in a different direction. It's okay. See, if you can't acknowledge him before humans that you live with and you interact with, right? How are we ever going to acknowledge him? right, when we stand before God. It's, it's easy to do this when you're in a church with all these people that are Christ followers that are like, yay, Jesus, or, or go Jesus. But when you're out in the world, which is where we're supposed to go, out into the world, and we're living among other humans, right, and we're interacting with people, and they say and do things that are not appropriate, and you keep your mouth shut when the Spirit of God is prompting you to speak, you're not acknowledging him before men. Whoever finds his life in this world will eventually lose it through death and whoever loses his life in this world for my sake will find it. That is life with me for all eternity. Jack Wellman, God cannot fix what is first not broken. My question for you today is you're standing here the end of April 2023 in Windsor, Ontario. Have you acknowledged that Jesus Christ died for your sin? You've repented of your sin. You've taken on the nature and the character of Christ and you've purposed to live for him and let him transform you from the inside out. Because see, when I refer to Christ's followers, it's people that want to live like Jesus lived. They want to take on the nature and character of Christ. There's a lot of people that are like excited about Jesus and they come to church every week and they say, go Jesus. Just like there's people that go, go Maple Leafs. 
But see, at the end of the day, if you're not actually in the process where you're taking on the character of Christ and the nature of Christ, are you really following him? Are you really following in his footsteps? Jesus says very clearly, his first message was repent. If you've never repented of your sin, you can't be a Christ follower. If you've never acknowledged your great need for a savior, if you didn't realize that you're so broken that you only can be fixed through Christ. He's the only one that can put you back together. He's the only one that can transform you from the inside out. And see, pride says, I don't need God. I can do it on my own. Humility says, God, I can't take another breath without you. We're talking about pride and humility today. I'm not doing a call to water baptism today. I'm doing a call to salvation. And that means this. If you're standing here today, and you've never given your life to Christ. You've never repented of your sin. You've never become a Christ follower. You're wondering, why are you having us stand up in church? Why are you talking to me? What are you preaching about? The truth is, we've all sinned and broken God's law, every one of us. And the truth is, most of us have broken all of his laws. <laughs> okay. Well, I've never had an affair on my way. Yeah, but if you lusted after another person, you did. You already did. You already broke his law. You are the weakest link. Why are you so harsh? I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm trying to explain to you we're broken without Christ and we need him for every step, every moment, every day. Without the blood of Christ, I'm nothing. Without forgiveness from Christ, I'm in deep trouble when I stand before God, just like you are. So if you've never acknowledged Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity today to profess him and acknowledge him before other humans. Or maybe, you know what, you've been kind of coming around and you're sitting on the edge and you're going, man, I don't know if I want to do this Christianity thing. It's time for you to choose to go all in for Jesus. It's time for you to make a decision today. God, I want to follow you. God, I want all that you have. And I want to acknowledge you before people. So I want to ask you to do something crazy and step out of your chair and come down here and say, God, I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. I want you to transform my life. I want you to change me. I want to receive forgiveness of my sins. And if God's talking to your heart today and you know I'm talking to you, come down here and it's okay. I have Norman and Nadine. They're on our eldership team. They, they teach our evangelism class. They will pray with you. They will help you to invite Jesus into your life and you will find forgiveness. You will find freedom. And, and, and God will meet you right where your faith is. So is there anyone that God's talking to your heart today and you know you need to come down here right now? It's okay. Don't be shy. Come on down. Just walk out of your chair. Come down here to the front. It's okay. Many people in this room have done a public profession of their faith before Christ. Many people have acknowledged Jesus before others. If you know that God's talking, come on down. If there's others, come on over. We don't want to play church anymore. What we want to do is we want to get right with God and we want God to change us. Is there anyone else that knows you need to be down here today? Are you looking at me? Yes, I'm looking at you. Actually, I can't see past the fourth row. <laughs> the lights are bright. Anyway, can you guys take them? They're going to take you guys aside. They're going to pray. And uh, congratulations.
on your new walk with Christ. Go ahead, you can be seated. You know, we're working through this contrast series, and uh, today is humility and pride. Dr. Uh, Charles Stanley, who recently went home to be with Jesus, he had his homecoming at age 90. He said that no one enjoys feeling weak, whether it's emotionally, spiritually, or physically. There's something within the human spirit that wants to resist the thought of weakness. Many times, there's nothing more than our human pride at work. Just as weakness carries a great potential for strength, pride carries an equally great potential for defeat. And see, I think that ties in perfectly with what we're talking about with strength and weakness. It's in our weakness in this earth suit that we live in that God shows himself strong in your life. And it's, it's in humility that we can actually start receiving from Christ the things we need so we can be successful. And it's a great bridge between last week's lesson and this week's lesson because ultimately the world system lives differently than we as Christ followers do. And in every arena of your life, every day, when you're reading the scriptures, it's going to contrast and stand out with the stark difference between the way that the world lives. And the imaging that you see in the world is going to be different than what the Bible tells us we're supposed to live like. <clears throat> I have a few scriptures that I wanted to read to you. Proverbs 11:2. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 22:4. True humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Proverbs 16:5. The Lord detests the proud, they will surely be punished. As they read earlier, Proverbs 16, 18, often misquoted. How many know pride goes before a fall? Except that that's not what it says. Pride goes before destruction, haughtiness before a fall. So can I make the case, does pride come? Yeah, sure. But the truth is, pride produces destructive power inside of your life. Pride, especially with sin, it will destroy. It destroys all that's good within you, all that's good from God within you. And if you get too haughty, you're gonna fall. And sometimes we put ourselves in positions and we raise ourselves up in our own mind. I talk to people, you know, all the time. And every now and then I'll walk out, I'll meet someone, I'm like, man, they're just a legend in their own mind. They've exalted themselves to this place where they're like superhero. And, you know, James 4, 6 and he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility is something that we see as consistent with the character of Christ. We as Christ followers are supposed to demonstrate and operate in humility. That's how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live a humble life. And, you know, I joke about it all the time. It's really hard to be humble like I am, but that statement alone communicates the wrong thing because it means that you're in pride. <laughs> So in Philippians chapter two, verse five, have this same attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ. Now watch, look to him as your example in selfless humility. Who, who are we supposed to look to as an example? We look to Christ, okay? Who, although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God as one with him, possessing the fullness of all divine attributes, so Christ was God, okay? The entire nature of deity, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or asserted as if he did not already possess it or was afraid of losing it. So when he humbled himself and took on human flesh, like literally he came to earth as an infant, as a baby. Honey, no, 
When Mary miraculously gave birth to Jesus, he did not come out talking, creating food for himself. He was totally submitted to the process of growing up human and fully dependent on Joseph and Mary, and of course God, but for his sustenance until such time that he became mature and he was able to go out and earn his own food. He emptied himself without renouncing or diminishing his deity, but only temporarily giving up the outward expression of divine equality and his rightful dignity by assuming a form of a bond, so he became a human. And being made in the likeness of man, he became completely human, but was without sin. That's the difference between Jesus and you and I. He didn't sin when he was here. Every one of us has broken God's law. Jesus did not break any of God's law. When he was on the cross, God poured out his wrath against all humans for all of the sin they commit onto his son, Christ. Did you catch that? That's actually really good news for you because otherwise he's gonna pour out his wrath on you for your sin. I lost my place. <laughs> I'll find it. He became completely human but was without sin, being fully God and fully man. After he was found, in terms of his outward appearance as a man, for a divinely appointed time, he humbled himself still further by becoming obedient to the Father to the point of death, even on the cross. For this reason also, because he obeyed so completely, he humbled himself. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in submission. Whether you're a Christ follower or not, okay, one day you will stand before God and the Bible says that every knee will bow before him. So you can acknowledge him in this life or you can acknowledge him in the next life, but you will acknowledge him one way or the other. It's ultimately better for you to acknowledge him in this life so that you can live with him in the next. But people are given freedom of choice and some will deny him in this life through their unbelief. And as a result of that, they will kneel before him in the next life as they depart with him or from him forever. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in submission, those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth. And the tongue, every tongue will confess and openly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, sovereign God and glory to the God the Father. Lou Giglio, some of you might remember him, if the earth was a golf ball. Has anyone ever seen How Great Is Our God? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. It's a video that he put out some years ago. And he was just talking about the vastness of the God that breathed the stars into existence and how we try to put God into this little tiny box sometimes. But Lou Giglio says, humility is not a character trait to develop. It's the natural byproduct of being with Jesus. I can't give you seven steps to humility. But if you go spend time with Jesus, you'll become humble because you become like who you hang around with. And the truth is, as you're spending time with Jesus and his character starts forming in your life and you start taking on his nature, humility will be the natural byproduct of that relationship. It's that time in prayer that you spend in communication with your creator that will start shaping you and forming. And, and John the baptizer, he, he got this, he understood this. And, and when John's disciples came over and said, hey, what about this Jesus guy, John, 
he figured it out and he said, he must increase and I must decrease. John the baptizer got it because at the end of the day, this is what it comes down to. Jesus, there needs to be more of you in my life and less of me. More of you, God, less of me. And that's how we as Christ followers live. Every day when you look in the mirror, do you say, God, I need more of you in my life and less of me? Or do you say, I look pretty good? Still got it. None of you do that, though. Jonathan Edwards. He preached a message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he was nearsighted and very monotone. And he would read his notes like this in a very standard voice. I joke about the robot voice my kids and wife tease me about. But he said, uh, nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. And he was the guy who, when he preached, people could feel the flames of hell coming up and it would convict them of their sin and they would start crying out to God for mercy in the middle of his message. See, humility is the attitude that Christ wants us to have as his followers. If you get into pride, you're playing in the devil's camp. You're playing in his territory. Pride is always consistent with the character of Satan. We are to avoid pride. Many of your um, theologians, many of your uh, people that founded some of the denominations and, and things like that, the, the scholars, they will tell you pride is one of the premier sins. And all the other sins result as, as, as a result of pride. But... Charles Spurgeon, who was another great preacher in his day, none are more unjust in their judgment of others than those who have a high opinion of themselves. A.W. Tozer, Aidan Wilson Tozer, the victorious Christian neither exalts nor downgrades himself. His interests have shifted from self to Christ. You want to be victorious? It's not about you. You don't have to put yourself down. You don't have to build yourself up. What we do is we identify with Christ and we start building up Christ. We start lifting up Jesus. That's the difference between a victorious and a defeated Christian. Your emphasis, is it on you or is it on him? How many of you live for yourself every day? Don't, don't answer that. How many of you live for Jesus every day? We know we're supposed to live for Jesus every day, but how many times does your flesh get in the way of that and the decisions you make and the things that you do? Now, Earlier in this series, I referenced Isaiah 14, and, and you know, I, I believe it talks about Satan and his pride and his desire to rule, and he, he really, you know, wanted to take God's place. Satan thought that he was going to rule in God's stead. God, we don't need you. I can do it. I can do it better. He got enamored, and he got infatuated with his own beauty, with his own position, with his own rank, with his own authority that God created him with and gave him. Some scholars disagree with that, I, I know. But in this one, all the scholars agree on Ezekiel 28, okay? And I'm gonna read it to you. And, and it talks about the origin of sin in our universe. And, and Lucifer, as he was in that period where he fell in love with his beauty and his rank, and he fell in love with his intelligence. And 
you know, the first 10 verses of Ezekiel 28 talk about some natural ruler, the king of Tyre. And then it switches in verse 11. It starts talking about Lucifer. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a dirge or a funeral poem to be sung against the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you had the full measure of perfection in the finishing touch of completeness, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. How many remember Eden? That's where Adam and Eve were placed, right? Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, the emerald, and the gold and the workmanship of your settings and your sockets was in you. And they were prepared on the day you were created. It seems that he had a breastplate of jewels that were built right into who he was created to be. You were the anointed cherub that covers and protects. And I placed you there. Who placed you? God placed him there on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire, sparkling jewels. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness and evil were found in you. Through the abundance of your commerce, you were internally filled with lawlessness and violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you out as a profane and unholy thing from the mountain of God. I have destroyed you. O covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud and arrogant. That was Satan's problem, pride and arrogance. Because of your beauty. He looked in the mirror and said, look how wonderful I am. I'm even better than the one who created me. But we do this when we don't obey Christ. You exalt yourself above Christ when you don't follow his commands. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> you destroyed wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might look at you. You profaned your sanctuaries by the great quantity of your sins and the enormity of your guilt by the unrighteousness of your trade. Therefore, I have brought forth a fire from your mist. It consumed you and I reduced you to ashes on earth in the sight of all who look at you. All the people, nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible and terrifying end and will forever cease to be. This predated Adam and Eve, but God stripped Lucifer of his rank, of his authority, and of his power, and he cast him down to earth. Does that mean that he never goes up to heaven and talks to God? I don't know, but he's not going to live there forever. Watch me. Often Satan injects pride into the believer's spirit, evoking in him an attitude of self-importance and of self-conceit. He causes him to esteem himself a very outstanding person, one who's indispensable to God's work. Such a spirit constitutes one of the major reasons for the fall of believers. You want to get yourself into trouble? Put yourself in a place where God can't do what God's going to do without you. I assure you, every one of us has a role. Every one of us has a function. Every one of us was created with purpose. But whether you obey God or not, God will accomplish his purposes in the earth with or without you. He doesn't need you because you're not the one that is holding him up. He holds us up with his mighty right hand. Do you understand? And the second you think that you're indispensable to what God is going to do, listen. From the greatest to the least in the kingdom, all of us, we work together with role, purpose, and function so we can be obedient to the king who's calling the shots. And he's the one that gets all the glory. The second you want to take the glory that belongs to God, you're out of line. 
The second you think that your role is more important than someone else's or the second that you think that you're indispensable to the kingdom, you've already crossed over and you're setting yourself up for destruction. And we see it time and time and time again because people think of themselves more than they should and they put themselves in a role. Well, look how great I am. <clears throat> Francis Frangipane. Coincidentally, I went to school with his daughter, Joy. Uh, God can never entrust his kingdom to anyone who's not been broken of pride. Pride is the armor of darkness itself. We talked about the armor of God a few weeks ago. We talked about the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit and the helmet of salvation and the shoes of peace and the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. God's given us his armor. The armor that Satan uses is the armor of pride. Humility must be motivated by love. Now, if you were to go downtown near the uh, Welcome Center, Visitor Center, whatever, there used to be a plaque or a bench. I can't remember. It's been a while since I was down in that place. But this was posted down there. I remember reading it, and I was like, wow, in the foundations of our city, they've got this from Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Except to be just... Love and diligently practice kindness, compassion, and walk humbly with your God, setting aside any overblown self sense of importance or self-righteousness. <laughs> Andrew Murray, we had long known the Lord without realizing that meekness and loneliness of heart should be the distinguishing feature of a disciple. Here at Windsor Christian Fellowship, what do we do? We make disciples who? Make disciples. Who make disciples. What is this distinguishing feature of the disciples that we want to make? Well, meekness, loneliness, humility, motivated by love. That's how we operate. That's how we roll. If you're not rolling in humility, motivated by love, you need to go do a self-assessment. <laughs> John Wesley, humility and patience are the surest proofs of the increase of love. We talk about this all the time with the maturity piece. Don't we say you get offended and you forgive? You can't have Christian maturity without people. Why? Because how else are you going to develop and grow in your relationships? How else are you going to mature if there's not challenge, if there's not hardship, if there's not ironing sharp, if there's not people to challenge you to grow? If you're not working through stuff with other people, are you really maturing? There's a lot of immature people in churches all over North America and they don't want to grow up. They're not Toys R Us kids. They're just selfish. They're children of Satan disguised as Christ's followers. You don't want to be one of those people. The Bible says that Jesus is the one that's going to separate the sheep from the pretend sheep, the goats. Chip Ingram I know for me, going back to the person I've badmouthed or lied to is absolutely humiliating, but isn't it interesting that humiliating has the same root word as humility? Part of humility is taking responsibility for my sin and asking for forgiveness even when it doesn't feel good. God wants to heal and restore your relationships, but it's not easy. I agree, it's not easy. Or how about John Newton? Some of you know who he is, but you don't know who he is. 
Has anyone ever heard of that song that we sing, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me? John Newton was a slave trader. He got radically saved and converted over to Christ and realized his great need for a savior. Not because he was a great sinner, but because he was a sinner who needed a savior. He considered himself a great sinner. But then Paul was a Pharisee and considered himself a great sinner too. And if you're honest with yourself, I consider myself a great sinner too outside of Christ. You're a great sinner too because we've all broken God's law and we're all guilty of all of it. John Newton said, I'm persuaded that love and humility are the highest attainments in the school of Christ, the brightest evidence that he is indeed our master. If you're operating in pride because you think you're better than anyone or lower than anyone, see, there's two sides to that coin where you think you're better than or you put yourself under. The truth is it's not about us or where we sit or where we stand. It's about Christ. We identify as Christ followers. My identity is fully in Christ. I am who I am as a Christ follower, period. It makes me no better or worse than anyone else. It means that I'm, I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be with Christ at any given moment, and I wanna give him glory in my life all the time. Is that how you live? So when you wake up and look in the mirror, Jesus, I wanna do what you want me to do today. I wanna be obedient to what you've asked me to do. I wanna do what you've called me to do. I want to obey your words and your commands and your teachings. And then the character of Christ starts forming in our life as we submit to that thing that God has called us to do. But so many people want to form God in their image, not the other way around. That's another lesson I'm getting ahead of myself. Henry Ward Beecher. A proud man is a seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. He also said, pride slays thanksgiving. But a humble man is in the soil. A humble mind is the soil out of which that thanks naturally grows. You see, I get a sense somehow as I look through the scriptures and I look at this, humility and thanksgiving go hand in hand, but pride and thanksgiving, they don't play well together. If your heart is not thankful, if you are not grateful to God for the breath, for the life, for the things that he's blessed you with, and you're too focused on what you don't have instead of those things that you do have. And you're too focused on the relationships you don't have instead of the relationships that you do. And you're too focused on what your neighbor has or what your neighbor's doing or the job someone else has or the wife or the husband someone else has. You're not operating in humility. <laughs> Why don't you stand with me? There was hundreds of men and women that had quotes, insightful revelation on the scriptures that I read to you on pride and humility. Michael Yusuf says, whenever we receive communion, we must do so in humility and brokenness before God. We must rejoice and be grateful and thankful for our salvation. Do you know that every week when we come together at the table, every week when we celebrate the Lord, every week when we come to partake of the bread and the cup, It's acknowledging our brokenness before the king. God, I am so broken. I have such a need for you to put me back together every day. I need you in my life every moment. God, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this week without you. 
every breath, every step, everything I say, everything I do. God, I want you to get the glory in that. Are we grateful that he went to the cross? For, are we thankful for the salvation he's made available to us or do we take it for granted every day? Because some of you go out and sin and say, well, I'll just ask forgiveness tomorrow. That doesn't sound like gratefulness. Father, as we come to the table today with the bread in our hands, Jesus, what an awesome thing that you did to clothe yourself in an earth suit, a human flesh, and live among us. You're so good. You were so willing to die in my place, in the place of my friends and family here. Father, help us to always look to you, to acknowledge you, to be thankful for the goodness that you've poured out in our life. Jesus, I thank you that you died so that we could be healed. You died so that we could be restored to wholeness. You died so that we can live for you. Help each and every person that's listening today to die to themselves, to die to the things of this world, to die to the flesh and its desires. And as we surrender more fully even to you each day, that we'll walk in a humility. Out of our relationship with you, it's, it just flows forth that it's not about me and it's not about you and it's not about us. It's about Jesus. In the name of Jesus, lift it high. So be glorified today, Jesus, in our midst. In this gathering of believers, be high and lifted up, Jesus. We want you to get all the glory. As the worship team ministers and there's an anointing present, I thank you that Jesus is lifted up and you encourage people in their relationship with you. And as we challenge people with the word of God and as we challenge people with some words, Lord, I thank you that hearts are being shifted in faith to lift up the name of Jesus. And Jesus, we want you to be glorified in all that we say and all that we do. Help us to live for you and help us to die for you. And help us, God, to put you in that place in our life where it's all about you and it's not about us. So I thank you. In your brokenness, you made a way for us to be whole in Jesus' name. Jesus, your blood is so powerful. And as you have released forgiveness towards your people who have asked in faith, Lord, we also release forgiveness towards others. Help us to have clean hands and a pure heart before you, God. That no wickedness would be found in your people. That we can repent and declare placed within us to this world around us. Father, I, I sense right now, even as I'm praying, that there's some that are discouraged and depressed and some that are down. Some that are feeling convicted in their heart, almost to the place of condemnation, but we know that there's no condemnation in Christ. Father, I thank you that you convict every heart that we could want to be more like you but take your rightful place in our life. You're the king. We're your followers. 
Help us to acknowledge you. Help us to take on your character. Form your word inside of us. Let truth come forth. Let life come forth, not death. Father, as we, your people, are united in purpose to lift up the name of Jesus, I thank you that nothing is impossible to us in your name. So be glorified in this community today, Father, in Jesus' name. I'll encourage all of you. Norman and Nadine are gonna share the benediction, but when they're finished, if you need prayer for whatever reason, please come to the front and our teams will minister to you. God bless you. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Norm. This is my beautiful wife, Nadine. And thank you, Pastor RJ. It was a, a very sobering message today. It was very quiet in first service and again in second service. And I'm sure it's because many people did self-evaluation listening to today's message about pride and humility. How many know that true surrender is accepting humility and pushing aside prideless pride? We're all in this uh, walk together. We all suffer and battle with the, the sin of pride in some way. How many know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Fear of God can start your humility. Pride causes, causes us to elevate ourselves to the place of God and it hinders us in our submission and obedience. It often keeps us from repentance and it keeps us from receiving blessing. Pride lies and it deceives us and we must never think too highly of ourselves because pride is deceptive and destructive but humility defeats pride. Shouldn't we all strive to be more humble, to walk and talk softly and to know we only live because of Him? In Proverbs, the readings from today, the word humility comes from a Latin word, humus, to be face down to the earth and submitting to His authority. We should cast our pride away in submission and live by the truth, the truth of the gospel to guide our thoughts and actions and the priorities as the only real truth in our lives. And that's the lens that we should see everything. That should be our pride. I just want to say it was so beautiful to see um, those two, our, our brother and sister come forward today uh, and give their lives to the Lord. Um, and, and, and they both spoke about just the humility and the humbling to Christ. And that's just, just perfectly describes um, an action of us surrendering ourselves to God and then Him beginning His work in us. And so just want to say congratulations to the two of you again. That's just amazing. The journey begins. It's just going to be amazing. Life begins right there. Um, and, and just, uh, just as a, a, there's so many amazing quotes. There's this other quote that I heard um, that I want to share is, humility is not that you think less of yourself. So it's not this like self-deprecating, you know, I'm no, you know, kind of shrinking yourself. Because we know who we are in Christ. And his word says, like it says, I can do whatever I need to do in life through Christ Jesus, who gives me strength. I am a new creation in Christ. I am a joint heir with Christ. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. 
I am the head and not the tail, and I only go up and not down in life as I trust and obey in God. You see the theme here, it's in Christ. Who we are, our identity, less of us, more of Him in Christ, right? Um, and it says, so humility, humility is not that you think less of yourself. Humility is that you think of yourself less in Christ, right? So the scripture in many places speak about humility and walking with God and doing what is right with God. And just want to share Ephesians 4, 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So as you leave here today, our prayer is that God's grace be upon you as you humbly abide in him and his will and do his work. Know that walking with God makes things possible as we submit to one another and the, and the uh, lowliness of mind. Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been equipped. Now go. Be the church.